Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. We continue our study in the, the letter that is written to the church at Ephesus. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 815. Page 815. We are looking really at that aspect that if we have sung, Jesus, I have promised to serve you, that this passage tells us how to walk and how we need to be doing that. Ever, ever since I was a boy, I have been interested in maps. And, you know, back in the, the days before map apps and navigation systems on, in cars and on phones, uh, we had to use paper maps. Some of you remember those days. And each year, our family would go from Michigan to New Hampshire to visit my mom's side of the family, and then we would use that as our, our time of family vacation. And most interstate service areas, uh, when you would stop, they would have a display with maps available. And my dad would pick up some of those, and I would ask if I could have them. And, and often he would let me get my own copies, I think because he knew if I didn't get my own copy, I'd be asking for his copies. And, so, and I enjoyed studying the maps. I, I looked at that, and so since then I have enjoyed all kinds of maps. Uh, I, in my office, I have a four-and-a-half-foot satellite map of the Holy Land. And I enjoy studying that. And before we went this past summer, I was looking at that again to see that, that aerial view. Uh, I, I like looking at maps of hiking trails and the various trails there are in the United States. Uh, we actually have a nautical map of the main coast hanging in our home. And I, I've enjoyed studying that and the depths of the, the water. And, and, and I've enjoyed studying trail maps for ski areas. So I, I really do enjoy all types of maps. But it was actually at Killington, Vermont, that I realized in looking at the map and studying that several years ago, many, many years ago when I was skiing there, that if I took the wrong trail, I could end up a long way from where I had parked my car. That it would actually take me down the wrong side of the mountain to where I needed to be. And in days when, when the shuttle service was very limited and there was no Uber or Lyft to help you out, uh, I realized that would be a long and painful walk. Because while ski boots may be helpful for protecting you from injury, uh, they are not good for hiking. They are miserable to try to walk in. And, and realizing that how those trails crisscrossed and being in the trees, that if I was not clear on what trail I was to take, I could end up in the wrong destination. The, the first half of the book of Ephesians pro provides the description of our destination. As believers, what God is doing in the church for His glory through Christ Jesus and that we would be part of that plan, that we're part of that program. So this is what's laid out in chapters 1 through 3, and we've taken time to consider that. And, and after this wonderful, this amazing foundation, we're not given a lot of time to just sit back and relax because immediately chapter 4 goes into how we're to walk. 
So while the first part is explanation, the second part of the book is the application for the life of the believer and how we are to walk in Jesus Christ. And it really is the map for our walk. The first part of chapter 4 tells us that we're to walk in unity. It's the map of how to walk in the church. In a spirit of humility, with a spirit of gentleness, with patience and perseverance and love. That's the first 17 verses. The, the map marks out the trail of service and stability that comes through a biblical understanding, a proper understanding of doctrine. Then it moves into walking in holiness. That as Christians, we're to walk differently than the unsaved world around us. The term that's used in, in Ephesians 4 is the term Gentiles. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Well, it, it, it's speaking of their spiritual condition. And, and so recognizing that we're to walk in holiness and, and not follow the impulses of the unsaved. So chapter 5 then tells us that as believers, we're to walk on the course, the pathway of love and light. And we've considered these aspects. The next section, though, of this map is really calling us as believers that we are to walk in wisdom. And that begins in, in verse 15 of chapter 5 and really goes through chapter 6, verse 9. The walk of wisdom is going to cover a, a number of very practical aspects of everyday life. The Scripture provides us with the overall perspective of that walk and, and moves from what we're to do in walking in wisdom to the power that we have as we walk in the Spirit and then how that applies in various aspects of relationships. So the end of chapter 5 deals with marriage. And then it talks about parenting, parent-child relationships in chapter 6. And then the application for us today would be employer-employee relationships in, in chapter 6. And then in verse 9 of chapter 6, it, it shifts, the passage shifts from our walk to our warfare. And that kind of gives you the, the big map view of what is taking place here in Ephesians. That's the general trail map of where this is leading us. But what I want us to consider this morning is the importance of the walk of wisdom. Because this is going to be overarching for what comes. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in Ephesians chapter 5, of verse 15. Ephesians 5, 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you that we can redeem this time as we gaze into your word. Help us to understand your will. Open our eyes and change us according to the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. What I want us to consider from this passage is that the follower of Jesus Christ must walk in wisdom, taking advantage of the opportunities that are available to serve the Lord and to seek His will. That's what we find in these verses. The, the key word is that word, walk. But as we've mentioned, it's not referring to just going for a hike and then marking that off your bucket list. It's the idea of how we live. This is how believers are to live. And so as we read this section, the question that ought to be in our minds is then, how does a wise person live? What is that walk of wisdom? And that's what I want us to see from these verses this morning. The first thing that we see is that the walk of wisdom requires a careful analysis 
of the current situation. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now, now notice how it begins. The, the very first words, see then, are calling us to think back to what we've already seen in this chapter. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. Because we're to walk in love and light, then we need to walk circumspectly. The characteristics of the Christian life is a walk of love and light, and it's not just, well, I've done that. I walked in love already. What's next? No, that, that's ongoing. And so see then, because we're to walk in love and light, we need to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? And what does circumspect mean? Well, that word comes from two Latin words, which mean looking around. Now, we might think of looking around as kind of being oblivious to what's going on. That's not what it's talking about. Because the Greek word talks about walking with precision, with accuracy, with, with understanding, and so we are aware of what's happening around us. It's, it's the idea of forethought. And so when you consider the previous verses, 14 and 15, Paul is saying, wake up. Don't sleepwalk through this world. Walk as children of light. Open your eyes and walk carefully because we live in a wicked world. Proverbs 15.21 says that folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. He walks carefully. It means we consider what's going on in our culture and we strive to be careful because if, if we become complacent, we open ourselves up for injury. When I was in high school, I I worked in an apple orchard. Uh, The man that owned the orchard was from our church, and and I loved being in the orchard. I loved being there, especially in the fall. Fall has really been my favorite season, and normally in other parts of the country, the temperature changes. Uh, In Arizona, we know it's fall because the license plates change colors, Um, but other than that, that's about it. But I loved the fall, and I loved being in the orchard. But when, when it was summertime, we had a lot of other projects. And, and they weren't quite as pressing, um, but many of those projects necessitated climbing the trees. We'd, get, we'd have to thin the apples. We would have to trim or prune the, the branches. And, and really, you know, for me, it was kind of like a boyhood dream come true. I got paid for climbing trees. And I thought, what a great job. The problem was I would get very comfortable in those trees. And with comfort, there wasn't always the level of care. And I remember one day that I was trimming branches. We were using a pruning pole that was about four feet long with the, with the end of it that would cut it. And then when there was a big cylinder and it was hooked up to an air compressor and the trigger was down here. So I could just put it on a branch, hit the trigger and cut off those branches. And I'm climbing through that tree and not really paying attention to where my next step was. And I missed the branch that I went to step on. Well, that wasn't a big deal. That has unfortunately had happened before. You'd think I would have learned my lesson. Uh, But as I started to fall, I just looked back for a branch to grab onto. I grabbed onto the branch, but in doing so, I'd let go of the trigger. And when I did that, the pruning pole pivoted and came down and hit me right, the cylinder right between the eyes. And uh, it, it gave me a little bit of a headache. And so I threw the pole out of the tree, I climbed down, and as I bent over, I realized that my my forehead was bleeding. My boss was nearby, and he said, you need to go to the doctor, that's going to have to be stitched up. 
All of it because I became complacent. I really didn't pay attention to where my next step was. Now, for me, all it took was a few stitches. But folks, if we don't watch our steps in this wicked world, it can destroy us spiritually. It can cause tremendous damage to our life and to our relationships. The danger is trying to make our way through this world as if we become comfortable and therefore careless. Because this world will inflict damage on our spiritual life if we're not alert. So a wise person walks through the world with an awareness that there are things that can hurt us. If we're not careful, it's likely that we will get hurt. So the question that we have to ask is, is your daily life marked by spiritual carefulness or is there a callousness? Have we become complacent? Really not that aware of what's going on around us and therefore not guarding our walk. The very first psalm in the book of Psalms begins by admonishing us about how we walk. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's setting the stage for the entire book of the Psalms, and it starts by being careful how you walk. Don't walk in the counsel, the advice, the direction of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit with scoffers, but rather delight in the law of the Lord. Because he's given us the guidance that we need for this life. This gives us the map. And the blessed man is one who will recognize the evil and avoid it. We have to respond accordingly. That's really the walk of wisdom. It means that we will heed the warning signs of God's word. Many places when you go hiking, if you go to the Grand Canyon, if you hike, there are warning signs all over the place. There is a caution. It's not because they don't want you to hike. They want you to hike wisely. God's word is given that we would walk wisely in a wicked world. That we need to apply it. So the question all of us have to ask is, where do we get our advice? Where do we turn for wisdom? Because if you want a blessed life, then don't turn to the ungodly for counsel, for your spiritual life. Are we spiritually sensitive? Are we careful? We must be sensible, not simple. Thoughtful, not thoughtless. And that's really the second thing that we see. The walk of wisdom demands spiritual perception. That we will not be fools, but as wise. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Walk carefully. There are two types of people listed here, and they're opposite. There are the wise... The, the Greek word that is used there is sophos. And there are the fools. The Greek word is the asophos. They are not wise. There are the wise and the unwise. There are the thoughtful and the thoughtless. There are the careful and the careless. This, this is the idea that take your guidance and correction from the Word of God. You know, with, with the invention of GPS, the availability of mapping systems, map apps, and navigation systems in vehicles, I don't study maps like I used to. If I were going somewhere, I used to look, okay, where's the destination? What are the landmarks on the way? What cities am I going through? And, and frankly, I, I don't do that anymore. I do it once in a while for uh, just novelty's sake, but I rely on my phone. 
So, you know, a week ago when I went over to Camp Ironwood to speak for their men's retreat, uh, somebody asked, so what route did you take? I said, you know, I don't even remember. I just clicked on the shortest one when it popped up, and I just followed what it told me to do. And I said, I, you know, I, I, I actually felt embarrassed because I, I like looking at maps, and if they're asking me what route I took, it's like, I listened to my guidance system. But, you know, sometimes I get tired of that guidance system especially when I purposely take an exit and, and it tells me proceed to the root. It's like, stop it. <laughs> I know what I'm doing and I don't want to hear it. And I really get annoyed when it tells me make a legal U-turn. You know, but how many times do we ignore God's word and he's telling us proceed to the root? You need to make a U-turn. And we want to ignore it. We get frustrated with God's word like I get fr frustrated with my phone. I don't want to hear it at that point. And yet the Bible tells us a wise person takes instruction. Proverbs 8.33, hear instruction and be wise. And do not disdain it. Don't treat God's word like I sometimes treat my phone. I disdain hearing it tell me what I'm supposed to do. See, what we have to understand is a person who rejects the instruction of God's word is not a wise person. In fact, Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Don't be fools, but wise. Walk circumspectly. And understand, when it's talking about a fool in Scripture, it's not talking about their IQ, their mental capacity. A person can be mentally brilliant and still be morally deficient. We actually saw that back in chapter 4 when it talked about not being like the Gentiles who walk in the futility of their mind. Don't do that. As Christians, as believers, we need to have spiritual discernment and we need to know the will of God. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 4.22, the Lord says, For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are a silly or foolish children. And they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. Does that not describe our culture? Our culture is wise concerning doing evil. They have a great perception for perversion and no knowledge of how to do good. In fact, they fight against it. So a biblical fool is not someone who lacks mental capacity or has a low IQ. It's a person who dismisses God from their thinking. They live their life without God in the picture. In fact, Romans 1 talks about this. Romans 1, 21 through 22, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but came futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They knew God and rejected Him. And that's biblical foolishness. So what word is there for the person who disregards the map that's provided? The map of life. The map that is given by the one who not only knows the way, but is the way and the truth and the life. What other word but foolish? Because God knows what's best. He knows what's best for our marriage, for our parenting, for our relationships, for our church, for our family, for all the aspects that we face in life. Do we know His will? Do we seek His will and His word? 
See, as believers, we're called to walk in wisdom. You say, well, you know, I don't always feel wise. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 tell us, though, that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace by which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives generously. This is what James 1 tells us. And He doesn't upbraid us. He doesn't say, what would you do with the last wisdom I gave you? You Where did you put it? No, he gives generously, which is the encouragement because otherwise I'd be afraid to come. I can't tell you what I did with it. I lost it. Proceed to the root. No, God gives generously the wisdom if you ask, but we have not because we don't ask. The unwise don't go to God's word for direction. So the question is, do you seek guidance from the word of God to make decisions or do you base them on your opinions and feelings? I had a a friend years ago, a teacher, who made the comment, "If, if the answers don't come to us in Bible knowledge, we're probably, or in Bible terminology, we're probably leaning to our own understanding." So when a question comes up, do we say, well, I think, or I feel, or I want, or do we say, here's what God's Word says? Do we make the right applications? The issue is not intellect, it's spiritual perception. And understand, the unsaved do not have this. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised or discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us. One of the things, as we mentioned, we'll be doing the ordination council or the ordination service for Josh uh, De La Rosa this evening. And as he shared his testimony with us, he, I, I mentioned earlier he was roommates with Ben Miller at, at Arizona State University. And, and Ben had in, encouraged him to read the Bible. And so Josh started reading in Romans. And he read Romans 1 and he said, I just cannot accept this. And he went back to Ben and, and he said, how can you believe this stuff? And he said what really threw him was Ben didn't argue with him. Ben simply said, you know, I, I understand why you feel that way. I understand why you have that perspective. And Josh said that bugged him even more because they were both engineers and he expected to, you know, give me the analytical reason. And so Josh ended up reading Scripture more. Well, why did Ben say that? Because Ben understood the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Until the Holy Spirit turns that light on and faith comes by hearing the Word of God, he's not going to be able to argue him into it. And so Josh went back and started reading. He read in John and he came to trust Christ as his personal Savior. And now he's heading to the mission field. But the natural man gets things completely backwards. He thinks foolishness is wisdom and wisdom is foolishness. So 1 Corinthians 1 says that God uses the foolishness of the message of preaching to save those who believe. And it really comes to, how do we answer the question, why am I here? The philosophical question, why are you here? Do you have a different answer than our culture? We should, because if we're walking in wisdom, we see our purpose as different. And if you've read the first part of Ephesians, you know that our purpose is to be part of what God is doing in the church through Christ Jesus so that He gets the glory. That we are saved for good works, which God has ordained that we walk in them, but we're not saved by good works. 
It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to His mercy He saves us. But we're saved with a purpose. So when we trust in Christ alone, realizing our sin has separated us from Him, that Jesus died for my sin, for your sin, and that I can't do anything to merit that, and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and trust in Christ alone, then we are saved for a purpose. And it's not of works lest we would boast. We don't get the glory. God gets the glory. And that's what our salvation is. It's a testimony of His glory. And so our lives then are to reflect that we're living for Him. So we should think differently than the world around us. Because we are walking in the light. We're to walk as children of light. That's what we've already studied in the first part of this chapter. So the walk of wisdom necessitates that we have that spiritual perception. But the third thing we see is that it also means that we develop an intentional commitment to the righteous purpose. This is verse 16. As it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We have to work conscientiously. We have to serve in a way that honors the Lord. And to understand what is being said here, it's important that we understand what the word time is referring to. Paul doesn't mean clock time. It's not like, okay, how many minutes left? How much longer is he going to go? That's not what Paul's talking about. It's referring to a season of time. We actually, the, we don't have an English equivalent for the Greek word, but we can see how it's used elsewhere. When it's in the plural in the Greek, it is translated seasons. It's the idea of an opportunity. So when in John chapter 7, verse 6, when Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is already here, he's not saying, well, you know, I've got a couple more hours. He's saying the season, the opportunity is not yet here for, and he was speaking of his crucifixion. And then later on in in the Gospel of John, he says, my hour has come. The time is here. This is that opportunity. It's used in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30 to refer to the time of harvest. And so again, and, and I'm saying this because understand most people in that day were living in an agricultural society. So they would get that. In an agricultural society, you understand there is a season for planting. And if you miss that, then you're going to miss the season of harvest. That you can't just say, well, you know, I'll I'll plant later. There is a window of opportunity. And so it's important to understand that the admonition to walk in wisdom is that we have an opportunity. If you think back to my working in the apple orchard, I, I, I love the fall because that's when the harvest came. And, and that was the time when we had, the, the trees were full of these apples ready to be harvested. Now, what would have happened if I had gone to my boss just as the harvest time came and said, you know, I, I'd like several weeks off. I just, I just, you know, I've worked hard all summer. I just want to relax. What do you think he would say? don't you understand this is what we have worked for all of that was preparation for this moment for this season and recognizing that I mean that was the time when he was trying to hire as many people as he could he would hire seasonal workers to come in and and to be part of what was going on because there was a limited window of when we could gather that fruit and if we missed that season it was gone 
And so it was a vital time. And that's really the idea here of buying back, of redeeming the time. Growing up in a little farming community, I worked for some other farmers in our area and, and would often help out at the haying season. And this was before they were doing all the big bundles of hay, the, but we would do the, the bales and we would put them on the wagon and then we'd have to put them into the barn. And, and doing those jobs, and we realized in growing up in Michigan, there were usually about two weeks when we didn't get rain. And that was when we had to get that harvest in. Because if it rained down the hay, uh, especially after it had been gathered into bales, it would ruin it. It would mold, it would mildew, it would rot, it would make the cow sick, and so you, it, you, it was wasted. And, and so when that would happen, and we were working, we didn't watch the clock and say, well, you know, it's 5 o'clock, I'm out of here. No, we've got work to do. There are still bales on the field, and it's still light. Let's work because night is coming. We didn't watch the clock and walk away. We looked at the windows of opportunity and realized this is the opportunity to get this done. Folks, that's what the Bible tells us. We're to work because night is coming. And when that comes, you're not going to be able to be in the field. No one will work. So a wise person makes the best of every opportunity. They redeem the time. It means buy back. Where do we buy it from? I mean, where do I buy time? We buy it from foolish and frivolous pursuits, from wasting time, from doing that which is unwise. It doesn't mean we can't have hobbies and different things, but how much time is wasted in things that will not matter for eternity? You know, the Internet's a wonderful tool. It's also an amazing time waster. And with internet and with video games and hobbies, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with having a legitimate hobby. But we have to look at how much time is it getting. See, God has set the boundaries of our lives. 1 Peter 1.17 says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves, that's walking, throughout the time of your stay here with fear. We all have a limited amount of time here. Now, I'm hoping for the Lord to return, and that's when our time ends, and we all go up together and meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord. But if he tarries, it is appointed unto men once to die. We will all die, and he knows how many days we have. We don't. But death never catches God by surprise. It does catch us by surprise. He knows the windows of opportunity that we have. Our world says, seize the day. God would tell us, seize the seasons. Buy back that season. The admonition is to buy the times that we have. Don't waste the seasons. So how are you striving to advance the cause of Christ in your current season of life? What does a wise person do? He buys back the time. Well, what kind of seasons are we talking about? You know, we're, we're at different seasons. You may be at the season of, of caring for little children in your home. And in teaching parenting classes, I've said many times, the, the days are long, but the years are short. The point is, there's a season, and it will pass quickly, even though it doesn't seem like it when you feel like your whole day is spent saying, don't do that, stop that. No, you can't do that. 
And, and you feel like, what, what am I doing? It's a waste. Invest in those lives. Show the love of Jesus. Realize there's an opportunity to mold that heart and direct that heart to love the Lord and know the Lord while it is pliable, before it's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And not to view that as a waste of time, redeem that time. Because those souls are eternal. Maybe you have older children, and you're teaching them to love God and love others and to develop a Christ-like character where they can minister, give them role models, help them see an eternal purpose of their life. You know, maybe you're an empty nester. You have more opportunities to serve the Lord or to invest in the lives of others. You know, God isn't leaving us here simply to find ways to fritter away our time. He's leaving us here because Jesus has a mission for us. Say, well, I don't have the energy I used to. I get it. I tell people my problem isn't so much time management as energy management. (laughs) I run out of energy before I run out of time. It's a different season. So how do we use that season? I've shared with you before, I've talked with senior saints and they say, I don't know why God's leaving me here. And then I hear about their prayer life. It's like, that's why you're here. It's a season of prayer. We need that. The power of prayer. We have a church prayer meeting Wednesday night. That'd be a great way to redeem some time. We invite you to join us. Maybe you're in a season of prosperity. Are we laying up treasure in heaven? Are we living with an eye for eternity, even in good times? We have to be very careful. The warning in Hebrews, or I'm sorry, in Romans 13 is very similar to what we're finding here. In Romans 13, verse 11, it says, And do this knowing the time that now is. It is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness or not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Walk in the light. See, the admonition in Romans is similar to what we're finding here in Ephesians. How we spend our time is really how we live our life. And if you waste your time, you waste your life. We are to redeem the time. When the season is gone, so is the opportunity. When it started to snow in Michigan and those apples froze on the tree, we, we could no longer harvest them. If we had not gotten them in, that window was gone. You know, it's, we have windows of opportunity. If you say, well, I'm not from an agricultural background. Okay, well, it's like Amazon Prime days. <laughs> you got a, you've got a sale that pops up and if you don't get it then, it's gone. We live with seasons of opportunity. If you miss the sale, it's gone. But missing a sale on Amazon Prime is not nearly as significant as missing the opportunities to impact eternity. And so the fourth thing that we see is we need to discern God's will. And I'm just going to very quickly give you these bullet points as we go through here. But it's it's telling us in verse 17, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a number of passages that tell us God's will is that souls would be saved. It says in in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So it says in the Old Testament, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. There's a season for coming to Christ. The only thing leaving this world is the word of God and the souls of people. So let's invest in God's word, know God's word, and reach the lost. Why is this so important? Because the days are evil. If you're here without Christ, today is the day to trust him. Because if you put it off, your heart will grow harder. And as sin increases, your character will become corrupted. And you will squander opportunities and be less sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that's God's will is that believers be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And we'll be, walk, we'll be walking through this and considering it. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So we redeem the time and we understand how to do that by walking in the Spirit. The third thing is God's will is that believers be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Which takes us back to the first part of Ephesians 5, or 5 verses 1 and following. Saying the love of Christ is different than the sensuality of the culture. The sacrificial love of Christ is not the self-gratifying aspect of the world that defines love in that way. And so we need to confess our sins because He's faithful and righteous to cleanse us. You can be pure today. Walk in sanctification. The fourth thing is God's will is that believers display submission. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. It takes us back to chapter 4, verse 1. The roadmap for walking in the church is, is telling us to walk in humility and gentleness and patience. Are those the characteristics of our life? Because the proper walk puts on the armor of light and refuses to walk in lust and lewdness. It means that we have a spirit of serving rather than being idle or lazy. Well, I just don't feel like it. You've got a season. Are you redeeming it? The fifth one is God's will may involve suffering. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let, a, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. You know, the truth is many of us, possibly all of us, will go through seasons of suffering. So how do we magnify God and trust Him when things are out of our control? We realize He's still in control. Suffering can and does come at any season of life. So what is your current season? Are we redeeming the time? Because we live in a foolish world. Let's not fritter away that time. You know, one of the people who is now with the Lord who greatly impressed this on many of us was Dr. Tetro. Many of you are familiar with his four-foot yardstick. He had these made... They were four feet long rather than three feet. And the reason for that was he was taking it from Psalm 90. He, he put on here, teach us to number our days from Psalm 90 verse 12. But the earlier verses there in Psalm 90 state that the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, let, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow and will soon be cut off. And he said, if the Bible tells us that our life is 70 years long and maybe 80, 
He, he said, you know, if, if I counted every inch as two years, that's why he said 36 inches wasn't long enough. That only, that only got you to, to 72. He said, so he went 48 and he said, so this is it. And so I, I, he gave me this and I've marked on it. Here's the 70-year mark. Here's the 80-year mark. And his point was to realize that time is passing. And, it, and I have this beside my desk and I have other markers on there. I have different points of life and what took place at various times and, and I have one that's not on here because it was loose and fall off and frankly I didn't want you to try to figure it out from uh, out there but it says you are here and I keep it beside my desk and I can look at that and I can see where I am and I'm a whole lot closer to these lines than I am these lines and it's reminding me I need to buy back the time there is a season and it will pass. Now you might say, oh, well, I'm way down here. So I've got all of this in front of me. How do you know? None of us are guaranteed of 70 or 80 or 90. Now some live and some, but we're to number our days to gain a heart of wisdom. That's God's will for all of us. So that we have gained that season. So how do you use your time? And how you use it will have eternal consequences. Are you seeking the Lord and His will in your daily life? Let me ask you, how will you use your time today? Will it be invested or will it be squandered? This afternoon, this evening, this week, redeem it or waste it? The steps you take are going to really be the map before you. Follow his map because God's word has mapped out a course for all of us that we would be wise. And if you're here without Christ today, today is the day to trust in him. Let's pray together.